Hello, this is Pastor Kieker. I'm the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Clinton, Missouri, and this is the fifth class of a 12-week class that I'm currently teaching during our Sunday School Hour on a Lutheran theology of worship. And in particular, we are focusing on the sacrament of the altar. Thank you for joining us. God bless you, and the Lord be with you always. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble, and he casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds, he prepares rain for the earth, he makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters hoarfrost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. Heavenly Father, you know our hearts are frozen. You know how cold that we are as a people. That we, by our sin, we have hearts of stone. We get stuck and paralyzed by our pride by our sin, by the things that we chase after that are not of you. We ask, O Lord, that your word would come swiftly to us and melt our hearts of stone and give to us a heart of flesh, that your Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the wind, would would wash over us, pour over us, blow upon our hearts and give us hearts of flesh, And that the waters would flow, the waters of our baptism would flow through us, and that our hearts would beat for you. Give us hearts, O Lord, that love you and love the people that you have placed around us. That we would not live with hearts of stone, but with hearts of flesh, that are alive, 
filled with your grace and mercy and peace in your son Jesus, who poured out his heart for us so that we might have life by his name. Give us rest in him today as we gather to hear his word, which alone is powerful to thaw the hearts of man, to bring peace in the midst of our chaos, to soften us, and to work in us humility and love and forgiveness. Bless your children who gather in your house this day with a heart of flesh, centered on your word, spoken to us by the mouth of your Son, into our ears and in our hearts so that we might praise your name and give thanks to you for all good things. Pray this in your Son's most precious name. Amen. Good morning. Oh, Rachel, I don't want you to twist your back as I write on the board today. That's okay. You're going to be okay? You want to twist around? Okay, if anybody wants coffee, they're on their own. It, is coffee made back there? Yes. Coffee is made. Do you want coffee? I'm, I'm okay, Rachel. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> what about you, Rachel? Okay. Okay, well... Welcome to <clears throat> the fifth class. Welcome to the fifth class. David, you're counting in your head. I I, I'm <laughs> counting too. I think it's the fifth. Start to lose count after three. Uh, the I, I was thinking you had three on the website, but I don't know. I think sure. I just put up the fourth. Okay. Um, the fifth class on a Lutheran theology of worship. And in particular, we're, we're looking at the service of the sacrament and Holy Communion, which is where we're going to be for the next, if I did my math right, seven weeks. <laughs> Don't hold me to it until Easter throughout all of Lent. Um, so we, we began four weeks ago with this Latin phrase, lex arandi, lex Credendi, and my marker is out. Need a new marker. Lex orandi, lex credendi, which is you know, the law of worship is the law of faith. How one worships forms and it shapes how, how one believes. And over the last several weeks, we've talked about our worship and the words that we use in our worship. Um, do you believe them? Now, there's so many words throughout our, our one hour together that we say or that we hear. It's like the word of God is dousing us like the Gatorade on a coach, right? You just get covered in it, and it happens so quickly, it seems, that most of the time we just say the word or we hear the word without even thinking about it. And... What I've been attempting to do is slow everyone down and ask the question, do you actually believe what you're saying? Do you actually believe the words? Um, you know, like in the creed, I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Well, do you? The closer I get, the more I believe. <laughs> 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 no comment, Timothy. <laughs> yeah. Um, we believe in uh, the communion of saints and with the angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, 
We laud and magnify your glorious name. Do we believe those words? That all the company of heaven is with us in the supper here at this table, angels and archangels. Do we believe that? Good. And, uh, you know, Renee, I thought, I wish she was here today. She brought up an excellent point last class about um, her desire that the church would talk about hell more. It's like at the very beginning of our service, we say we deserve God's temporal and eternal punishment. Do you believe that? Or is it just another word that you've come to say and memorize like, you know, brushing your teeth. You just, you know, the, you know what to do and you don't even think about it. Or do you actually believe the words that you're saying? Do they actually mean that to you? Because they're there. The word is there, always forming us. The worship that the church gives us that we've received, it is forming us to believe these things to be true. This isn't just a roteless, mindless thing that we do. We're engaging with the word of life that gives us life. We are hearing it and we are speaking it and we, we desire to be formed by that and we want our children to be formed by that too. So this isn't, <clears throat> this isn't just rote memory work. This isn't just mindless, heartless things. These are these are true things that we say and that we believe. And it, it showers upon us. I mean, the very first thing that we do when we gather together, I confess that I'm a sinner. By nature, I'm sinful and unclean, and I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I haven't loved my neighbor as myself, and I justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. Where's that? Hell. Do you believe it? So these things are always there forming us um, because the way that we worship will form what we believe, what we teach. And so we went through the liturgy, and um, today we're, we went through uh, the Lex Orandi part. We went through our, the way that we worship, in particular the service of the sacrament. We walked through each part of that service, and we looked at the scripture passages, right? We looked up all the Bible passages of everything that we're saying or hearing <clears throat> during that time. Um, it's all the word of God that we're saying back and forth to one another. Now we're going to look at the teaching, the faith, lex credendi, um, today. So we're going we're gonna to rely on the small catechism of Luther, which is in your hymnal. But before we get there, I want to look at scripture. Um, John chapter 6. You know, open up your Bibles to John chapter 6. Now in John chapter 6, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men, plus women and children, um, with a few loaves of bread and some fish, right? And then he leaves them. He goes across the sea. And if we pick it up in verse 22, um, we catch the rest of this chapter. 
On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set a seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers, they ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. I believe in the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's so funny to hear uh, Levi he talks about the last day every day. I love hearing it. Uh, the other day we were talking about, what was it? Oh, there was a dead animal on the side of the road. That's what triggered it. Addison wanted to know what happened to the animal. And Levi goes, he'll be back on the last day. <laughs> a five-year-old talking about the last day. Love it. Jesus grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So this is their complaint, right? They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, father and mother? We know, how can he say, I've come down from heaven? See, Jesus is speaking heavenly things. He wants them to believe. This is only by faith, right? But they're still seeing it by, they're still looking by sight. They're still looking at the man-made things. Do not grumble among yourselves, Jesus answered them. No one can come down to me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers, they ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
Well, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Sounds just like Nicodemus, right? How can I be born again? Do I climb up into my mother's womb a second time? They're stuck in the world of man, right? They're thinking about earthly things. Jesus keeps giving them spiritual things, things of heaven. He's talking to them about things that must be believed by faith, not by reason. But the Jews, uh, they're disputing because they, they keep saying, well, how? Right? How? Jesus' word alone should be enough because he says. And so he keeps speaking and they will keep saying, but how? <laughs> how? Right? How can, this, how can a man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus says to them, verse 53, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. (coughs) Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now what do his own disciples say when they hear this teaching? This is a hard day. It's a hard teaching. Most of them leave him. Most of them leave him. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But it's Peter who says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He believes by faith all that Jesus says. And many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him on this teaching. Okay, let's go to the catechism. In your hymnal, the small catechism is there, and it's on page 323. Hold it. Where is it? 326. 326. Anyone else need a hymnal or a small catechism? Rachel. 326. Service of, or the sacrament of the altar. So this is the church's teaching, the Lex Credendi. This is our teaching on the supper, the sacrament of the altar. Now, before we even dive into the actual words of the catechism, which are the words of Scripture, uh, the sacrament. Now, that's an important word. And I've been talking with several of you um, lately. A lot of you have picked up on this or are asking about this, that words are losing their meaning. Um, a lot of words today are just, they're under attack. They don't mean. They don't have weight to them anymore. They don't have truth to them anymore. It's all this wishy-washy stuff going on. The most recent words that are under attack are words like marriage and family and mother and father and male and female. What does that even mean anymore? 
We're getting further and further away from what God says about these words. Um, Sacrament, this word, what does it mean? Uh, Where does that come from? Um, this This word's been under attack a lot longer than marriage has. This attack started about 500 years ago. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you see here St. Paul writing out the ministry of the apostles. He's describing to the church in in Corinth uh, his ministry. This is the ministry of the the apostles. And he writes in verse 1, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So that word, mystery... And Greek is musterion. Um, and you can see mystery in that Greek word, musterion, mystery. But when this Greek word, musterion, was translated into Latin in the 4th century, the Latin word for musterion is... Sacramentum. Sacramentum. Where do we get our English word for mystery? From the the Latin. Because we don't call it the mysteries of God. We call it the sacraments. Sacramentum. But what does sacrament mean? Mystery. Mystery, right? It just, it means mystery. This word, it means mystery. And Paul says he's a steward of the mysteries of God. He's a steward of them, right? He's there to, what he says, to be trustworthy and faithful with the administration of the mysteries. And this is why when the church calls a pastor, it calls a pastor to preach the word and administer the mysteries rightly, right? <clears throat> why they send you to seminary. <laughs> You train on how to be a steward of the mysteries, part of our training. Um, who, well, I should back up. Who's the steward of the mysteries of God? Paul says this is how you should regard us. Who's he talking about? <clears throat> the apostles. Another word that we say every Sunday, the apostolic church. What does that even mean? Well, it's another class. <laughs> but we believe in it. Just FYI, Um, mystery. So the mysteries of God, a mystery, right? Something that is revealed to you, that once it's revealed to you, it is still unknown. The greatest mystery of the church, the church has always confessed. What's the greatest, the highest mystery of the church? The Trinity. Who God is. We believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yet we believe in one God. Does that make sense? Compromands say that too. Yep, makes sense. Like, no, it's not supposed to make sense. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, yep, one God. Well, it doesn't make sense. We, we believe in three gods, right, Pastor? That's, that's what we, right? Nope. Well, how does that make sense? We believe it by faith. Oh. Yeah, I got to iron out the heresy with our confirmands, you know. 
because they are not uh, monotheists when they come into class. They think there's three gods when you say God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, this is a great mystery of the church. Who God is is a mystery. Second highest mystery of the church. Jesus is incarnation. He is true God, true man. What percentage? 100% both ways. He is fully God and fully man. Well, that doesn't make sense, right? At most, you can be 50% and 50% at most. Nope. 100% God, 100% man. Doesn't make sense. Right? We believe it by faith. Why? The Word. Okay. Sacrament of the altar. Hold up bread. This is my body. What is it? What's Luther say in the small catechism? What is the sacrament, the mystery of the altar? What is it? What's he say? He says, it is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and the wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and to drink. So, what do Lutherans teach? What is our faith? Lex credendi. What do we believe about this mystery? Is it just bread? Is it a symbol of Jesus' body? Or is it his true body and blood? We believe our faith is it's truly him. It's truly his body and his blood. Uh, I don't know if this chart will help. But just as a quick distinction between Rome, Lutheran, and, well, I'll put, I'll put sacramentarians here. Sacramentarians are those who deny the sacraments. That's what the church labeled. Those who denied the sacraments and taught other teachings, man-made teachings, they were labeled sacramentarians. Um, so we have body, blood, bread, and wine. Here's the distinctions. What does Roman Catholic teaching teach about the Eucharist? Is it the body, the blood, bread, or wine? They teach body and blood of Jesus. True body, true blood of Christ. That's it. Sacramentarians teach it's just bread, just wine, or grape juice now, most of them. Not really Christ's body and blood, because how does that make sense? What did yeah. they do before they invented grape juice, though? Because you told us it wasn't invented until the 1960s. It wasn't invented until the 1960s, grape juice, yeah. yeah. Um, well, the church always had the practice of watering down wine. Like, it would, it would have wine and then water it down quite a bit to get it out to as many people as you could. So it would be very, very low alcohol content, I would think. <clears throat> now, Lutheran teaching, what's Luther say? What's the church confess? Body, blood, under bread, and wine. <laughs> See the difference? With my cute little chart. Okay, this is the Lutheran teaching. So, so it's, it is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ given under bread and wine. That bread and wine is still there. 
You see bread, you taste bread. You see wine, you taste wine. Christ's true body and blood is there. Why do we say something ridiculous like that? Why do we believe something crazy like that, that Christ's true body and blood is there? Because the word, right? Because the word of God says. In fact, this word of Christ, you think of all the words that he gave to us. He, he had so much teaching that he passed down to us. He fulfills the law for us. All the words of the gospels, all the red letter words, you know which words get labeled in the early church as the words of Jesus? The verba? The institution. the institution of the supper. The word of Jesus. This is the verba, the words. It, it, it took on uh, a most important foundation in the church. That in this mystery, all the teachings of Christ, all of heaven and earth, finds its fulfillment here in the verba of our Lord, the words of our Lord. And what are the words of our Lord? Why do we teach that the sacrament is his body and his blood under bread and wine? What's the catechism tell us? Where is this written, right? Good Lutheran instinct. Where is it, pastor? In here. The holy evangelists, and we looked at each one uh, last class, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Paul. Where does St. Paul write his verba of the Lord? 1 Corinthians, Corinthians. Yes. They all write these words. This is the verba of the Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Of me. You hear these words almost every Sunday. Do you believe them? When you were confirmed, you said yes, right? When you were catechized, you said yes. Maybe not at first. Maybe at first your sixth grade mind was saying, how can that be? I see that with the kids. But then what the pastor says, but read the words. Do you believe these words? Are we supposed to? Yes. <laughs> it's his words, right? The one who created the heavens and the earth by his word? When he says, this is my body and this is my blood, it is so. And then usually, well, I haven't seen it yet not happen. They say, okay, I believe. Do you believe? Yes. It's only by faith. Only faith alone, right? Because my reason does not, does not receive this. It is a hard saying. It is a hard teaching. But what does Jesus keep saying? My flesh, it is true food. And my blood, it is true drink. Well, he would not lie to us.
distinguishing factor his board did and whatever any other uh, physical land blood did that forgives sins and they any other blood is incapable of forgiving eternal when you try to focus on this blood was shed for us for the opportunity to achieve eternal life. Good point. And what does he command us to do with his body and blood? Eat and drink it. Not to put it in a monstrous and parade it around the city so that everyone can look at it. Did he say to do that? He said to take and eat, take and drink. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, that's what we want to do, right? I don't want to just look at Jesus. I want to eat him. I want to drink his blood. Well, this is why the early Christians were called cannibals. They talked that way. And it's weird. We're clinging to his word, right? Here in Hebrew 9, yeah. Hebrew 9:14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Yeah, it's the, it's the blood of Christ that purifies consciences, forgives sins. The question is, is, is that something that you just have to think of? Or did God actually find a way to deliver it to you? Actually come into you as, as you are and to give you his blood that was shed on the cross. He didn't leave it to chance. He wanted you to have it. And Lutherans say, yep, that's communion. Jesse, yeah, Mom. We were taught um, in a Bible study with our pastor that amen means yes, it is so. Yes. So when you say the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, you're saying yes, it is so. Right, Trinity. So when you receive communion, you say amen. And so you're Right. In our distribution, that's a, that's a great point. In our distribution, we say, take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given into death for you for the forgiveness of your sins. We want someone who says amen to that. Amen. This is the Lord giving you his gifts, and I am receiving them. Amen. Take and drink. This is the true blood of your Lord, given into death for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Amen. If you cannot say amen to that, when we keep going back to the word then. Um, so it is a statement of faith to say amen, right? Yes, yes, this is, this is so. Now, the next question then of the, of the catechism is, and um, this summarizes the sacraments for me kind of in a nutshell. Is there any benefit to them? Do you get anything from them? Does God give you anything? And there's two main teachings in the church about this, right? And you've seen this chart before, and I keep returning back to it because I think it helps clarify so many things. That if communion is something which God does to give man something, 
then there is a lot of benefit to it. In fact, Luther will say, life, salvation, and the forgiveness of sins. But if the Lord's Supper is something that man does to show God something or to give God something, it's a work of man, well, then there's not life, salvation, and the forgiveness of sins there because then that would mean that you save yourself, that you're saved by your works. And so there's no room in this way of thinking that God actually comes to give you rest. It's more about you doing something to give God something, which is a Roman Catholic view. When the supper is about my work, the unbloody sacrifice, I'm coming to give God something. I'm coming to do this for him. No, 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 no. The teaching of the church is that this is the place where God comes to give you his gifts. And what's the main gift that he gives? What's Jesus saying? The verba. The forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. This is the New Testament in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And we say amen to that. Right, so the next part of the catechism, what is the benefit of eating of eating and drinking. Luther goes back to the words, right? He's pointing us back to the words. These words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, shows us that in the, in the mystery, in the sacrament, the forgiveness of sins, life and salvation are given us through these words. For where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. Now, how can that be? And this is when you find out how Lutheran you really are, Carolyn. How can that be? How can eating and drinking bread and wine do such great things? How could that possibly be that by doing that, my sins are forgiven? Ah, Wilda, solidly Lutheran. The because his word, right? We're staking our whole life on his word. How can bodily eating and drinking do such great things? Certainly it's not the eating and the drinking that does these things, but the words written here, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. These words, these words, these are God words. These are heavenly words. These are words that have the ability to create what they say. These words with eating and drinking are the main thing in the sacrament. Whoever believes these words has exactly what they say. So for us, where does it all go back to? The word and nothing else. I don't have any reason that will convince you that it's Christ's true body and blood other than his word. And if you don't believe that, then I'm just going to keep speaking God's word to you until you do. Right? This, is, this is all we've got. Rachel, sorry I haven't got to you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And with the fruits of the Spirit, there is peace. Yes. Yeah. Good. I'm confused on salvation. Yeah. Yes, Jeff. I'm confused on salvation through the sacrament. I don't know what that means. Well, Luther says, where there is the forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation. So, how is one saved? By the blood of the Lord, the forgiveness of their sins. 
doesn't help. But I'm already, I'm already saved before I come to the table. Right, yes. Yeah. So. Is it kind of a reconfirmation of your faith? Um. I don't know if I want to put Jeff on the spot. You're fine. Do you tell your wife you love her every day? No. Oh! <laughs> but you should. <laughs> right? We, you know, it's not like the day of your wedding you said, I love you, and that's it. And then 20 years later, Kim says, Jeff, do you love me? And you say, well, I told you 20 years ago. Do I need to tell you again? <laughs> right? No. Like, this is God's way of telling us he loves us. And I need to hear that. I need to hear his words of forgiveness and his love for me again and again and again. It's not that you don't love each other, that you're not married, right? Uh, you are saved. But I need him. I need him to tell me again that he will raise me up on the last day. Because all of life, I, I doubt that. I wrestle with that. I wonder, will he? Me? What I've done yesterday? I will raise you up on the last day. Okay. I love you too. <laughs> right. Amen. Does that help? Yeah. Okay, so the last question in the, sac or on, in the catechism then is a, is a great question because it's the natural question that we would have. If this is our Lord, true body, true blood given to us for the forgiveness of our sins, then who should receive it? Who should, who should approach and receive? Sons and daughters. What makes you a son and daughter, Carolyn? Yeah, for me. right. Rece I, go can't, I can't do it to him. He has to do it for me. Yes, receive that language of faith. goes back to the one who believes, the words, who believes what our Lord says. It's faith that makes one worthy. It's not how you live. It's not your works. It's not what you do. It's simply faith in him, right? Who receives the sacrament worthily? Well, fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training. Oh, that was a word I was going to bring up. Another word that's lost its meaning, breakfast. You know where this word comes from? It doesn't mean eating your cereal in the morning. It was breaking your fast. Christians would stop eating after Sunday evening, and they wouldn't eat anything Sunday morning. They would fast in preparation to receiving the Lord. And then after receiving communion, then you would break your fast and eat your breakfast breakfast, breakfast. And now what's breakfast mean? Oh, geez. We scarf it down first. It's the most important meal of the day. What are all these langu this language that man's given to it? Stripped it away from the Lord, right? And so that fasting, it was a common thing in Luther's day. I try to do it too, but uh, it's hard for me. <laughs> um, 
Yes. I haven't had anything yet today besides water, but we'll see. If I pass out during the sermon, Brian will s- sweep in and finish the sermon off for me. <laughs> <laughs> Come back. So he's so Luther's saying, you know, that's fine. If you want to fast, that's fine. That's fine outward training to, to prepare your body. Right? We do not man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of, of the Lord. So and the Lord says, when you fast, he, he is assuming that you do fast for him. But that's not what makes the sacrament, um, that, what, that's, that fasting is not what prepares you worthily for the sacrament. The person that is truly worthy and well-prepared is the one who has faith in these words. All back to the verba, back to the words. The one who has faith in these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins is worthy. Anyone who does not believe these words or doubts them is unworthy and unprepared for the words for you require your heart to believe. Yeah, Rachel? I had friends who fast, and how important is fasting? Give me the truth. Well, the most important thing is faith. Okay. And and the ways that fasting strengthens your faith and brings you closer to your Lord, then they're good. Okay. And the ways that fasting strengthens your position to other men, to other men, right? When you fast, do not glo- do not look gloomy like the hypocrites do, who like to disfigure their faces in public so that they might be seen and praised by others, right? If your fasting is to draw attention from man, then then stop doing that, right? When you fast. Or when you pray, you know, do it in secret. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Um, last question for the class today is uh, we've been talking about the church receiving, that this is worship, the church receiving things from the Lord. Rest for the weary. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So as we look at the church, what is it that they gather around in Acts 2? What does the church gather around to receive? What are the most important things, Rachel, most important things uh, that the church receives? That's a response, our giving, but first, what do we receive? Acts 2, 42. Acts 2, 42. We get a list of the, you know, this, the church is freshly made, freshly minted in Acts. Holy Spirit has formed her. She is the beautiful bride of Christ. And uh, immediately we see how they are worshiping their liturgy, the, what they are gathering around. Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. Apostolic church. The apostles' teaching. What's that? The word. The word of God. So we have the word of God that they were gathering around. Readings from the scriptures. A sermon on those scriptures. 
in accordance with the apostolic teaching. Fellowship. The breaking of bread. What's that? Yeah, you know, I don't want to get lost in the weeds on this one, but I read 15 pages on just this, like, four words in the Greek. Suffice it to say, for now, that the fellowship is what comes out of all the other things. So fellowship is found in the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers, that by those things fellowship is formed. So we're not talking about coffee hour after church no, here. Yeah. But we're talking about all people gathering together instead of setting off by yourself somewhere reading or something. Yeah, okay, yes. Yeah, it's the word and the sacraments and prayers which pull people together. Uh, koinonio, fellowship. So we have the word that they're gathering around and then the breaking of the bread. What's that? Yeah, Lord's Supper. They were gathering around the Lord's Supper. Yes, David. Yeah, it's lost its meaning too. So. Uh, I don't have my Greek text in front of me, um, so I have to look at it. But to but to see the language used in the scriptures, you read Luke twenty four, which is the same writer of Acts. And in Luke twenty four, how does Jesus reveal himself to the to the disciples on the road to Emmaus? In the breaking of the bread, right. When he broke the bread, their eyes were opened. And then he goes on to say, he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. He says it twice. Um, the breaking of the bread, um, the Lord's Supper. And we're told in Acts that they were actually breaking bread every day. Why? Well, Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Looking forward to the last day. And when, when were they convinced that was happening? Any day. He's coming. Paul says, if you're married, don't even worry about it anymore. Christ is coming. They're gathering every day, proclaiming his death until he comes again. He's coming any day, any day. So they're breaking the bread every day in their homes. And then there was a third thing that they gathered around. The word of God, Lord's Supper, and prayer. When you look at our liturgy today, 2,000 years later, what do you see as the headings of our liturgy in the hymnal? Service of the word, prayer, service of the sacrament. This is the way the church has worshipped that has been passed down. We have received it. It has been given to us. Did they just create it out of thin air? No. They took how they worshipped as Jews. They had a liturgy. They had scripture readings. But now... Well, we have new scripture readings that we can read, Carolyn. We have the Gospels and the prayers. Well, we're praying to the Lord Jesus, who is the sole mediator between us and God. And we're no longer celebrating the Passover lamb once a year. We're celebrating the Passover fulfilled every day, right? They took what they had received from the Old Testament and passed it down. And so when you look at our service, the Lex Arandi, Lex Credendi, Yes, this is the fellowship. The fellowship is the apostles' teaching. It is at the supper. It is in the prayers. That's what binds us together. That's the common fellowship. 